Good to see you guys. Uh, today is June the 21st, Father's Day. So I hope you dads have a great Father's Day today. Um, I've been blessed. My boys have been generous. Um, but you know, it's not about just uh, gifts or anything like that. It's just a matter of knowing that they care, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> that they love you. And uh, so um, I had a great Father's Day. Um, and I hope you do too. Well, uh, last week, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. every morning, 10 to 15 minutes, we worked our way through um, Acts chapter number eight. I'm still working through that, but the plan is I'll do that Monday through Friday of every week, and then on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock, we'll go over it again and put it all together. Um, and of course, I'm always tweaking notes. I'm always seeing things. It never comes out the same. Uh, ever. Uh, so uh, that's a good thing. Uh, so let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8 and um, verse number 1 and uh, we'll work our way down through there and cover what we covered Monday through Friday. Sound good? Alright then, well let's go ahead and um, have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we love you and do ask that you would go before us today. Thank you Lord for fathers. Thank you for a day to recognize them and Lord, just thank you for the privilege of being a dad and loving on our children and raising them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, be with our children wherever they are today. Protect them. Father, be with us as we open your word. Father, I pray that uh, you just open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us today. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region to Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So as a result, we've already discussed, of the persecution, the church that was at Jerusalem was scattered abroad. And of course that persecution, we know, was brought on by none other than the uh future apostle Paul. Um, uh, we saw that when Stephen was stoned in uh, Acts chapter number 7. Uh, they laid uh, they laid their uh, garments down at the foot of a young man named Saul. Um, and of course in the book of Acts right now the book is beginning to take a turn. And as we have discussed many times the book of Acts must be viewed as excuse me, as a transitional book. We are making a transition from Peter to Paul. We are making a transition from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, we are making a transition from the gospel of the kingdom that had been preached since John the Baptist, Jesus the Apostles, Peter on the day of Pentecost, um, Philip, and now we're going to see a transition to the gospel of grace. And they are different. Um, it's a different gospel. One is a works gospel. One is a grace gospel. One is repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That is very different than believe with all thine heart. Um, so the book is a transitional book. 
if you remove the book of Acts and you went straight from the Gospels to Romans, there would be no segue. It wouldn't make sense because all of a sudden words are coming out of Paul's mouth that was not coming out of the apostles' mouths. So the book has to be viewed as a book of transition. <clears throat> and that's with the introduction of Paul. And, <clears throat> of course, his salvation will happen in the next chapter, his conversion, if you will. Um, I still struggle uh, with those, <clears throat> yes, uh, from the Great Commission uh, to the Ministry of Reconciliation. We are not taught, we are not told to preach the Great Commission. Uh, we are told to preach the ministry of reconciliation. Very true. Thank you. Um, so the question is, why did the apostles decide to stay in Jerusalem when everybody else was scattered? And we talked about that. I used to teach that God used the persecution uh, to scatter the church, to take the gospel, to fulfill the Great Commission, um, outside of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, if that is correct, then why did the apostles themselves not leave? They refused to leave. Uh, they would have been the most disobedient of them all. Also, those who were scattered when they, when they did go out and preach, we're told in Acts chapter 11, verse number 19, that they preached the word to none but Jews only. They never took the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentiles. Uh, the gospel of the kingdom was to the nation of Israel, and that's where they took it. The church as we know it, the body of Christ, was not in view yet. And again, many people spend a lot of time, and I can't tell you how many undergrad Bible college classes I've set in, or even grad postgrad classes that I've set in, that have just you know, second-guess the apostles and what they were doing. Um, you know, they'll say things like, you know, the apostles never should have chosen Matthias. Peter got ahead of himself. Old presumptuous Peter, impetuous Peter. You know, he got ahead of God because God had already chosen Paul to be the replacement for Judas. All that tells me is that they do not understand what was going on here. They fully expected the Lord to return quickly. They expected the nation to repent, and they were told that they would sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they needed to have that 12th guy in his place for the return of Christ. Again, they don't understand. They're trying to force um, the body of Christ on the text. Also, Peter, they'll say, poor impetuous Peter, he should not have quoted uh, Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and 29, which was fine, but he should not have went into those uh, those tribulational verses because God, uh, the tribulation would be yet for many years future. Wrong. In Peter's mind, that is exactly what should have happened because that's what the Old Testament prophecy said would happen. The Messiah would come. They would crucify him. Pentecost would take place. <clears throat> Hopefully the nation would repent. It would go into the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, and the Lord would return. That's what the apostles believed was going to happen next. Um, also, you know, they say they should have left Jerusalem. They were disobedient and not going outside of Jerusalem. No, they stayed in Jerusalem because Jerusalem still had not yet repented. 
Jerusalem still had not accepted their king. The leaders of Jerusalem had not accepted their king nor his offer of a kingdom. Uh, so I, I, I just think that we have a lot of audacity to insinuate that they were confused. I think we're confused. Who are we to correct the apostles? Um, I think we should take the opposite approach. They knew exactly what they were doing. Um, and we are the ones that are confused because we're trying to force our theology into the text. It is only after we distance ourselves from that kind of thinking that we're able to see it with fresh eyes. Again, what was being said, who said it, and who was it being said to? That is the interpretation of the text. There is no body of Christ in view at this point. The Great Commission was for the nation of Israel, not to the body of Christ. Um, so then, uh, let's see, we had a question there. So why were they remaining in Jerusalem? Um, again, I believe they were remaining in Jerusalem because they knew that before the kingdom could come to Israel, all of Jerusalem, including its leaders, must repent and accept that Jesus Christ was their long-awaited Messiah, and they had not done that yet. Okay, It would only be then that God would use the nation of Israel to reach the Gentile nations. If the dispensation of grace didn't happen then when did Daniel's 70th week happen? Well, I don't think Daniel's 70th week has happened. It was going to happen. Bear in mind, when Christ came in through the Eastern Gate, fulfilling Daniel chapter number 9, 483 out of Daniel's 490 weeks, the 70th week should have happened after the nation of Israel repented. So I don't think it has happened. Uh, it has been postponed because the nation rejected the king and his kingdom. So the clock, if you will, stopped ticking at that point because everything was postponed and it will start ticking again once the church is removed and God's attention is placed back upon the nation of Israel. So God's desire was, of course, for the nation of Israel to repent and to use them to reach the Gentile nations. That is what God's original desire was. Israel had to be saved first, and it had to start at Jerusalem. Um, and even then, understand, if, if, if they had accepted it, they would have went out. But again, they would have only went to the Jew. Uh, that's all they were told to go to. They were told not to go into the way of the Gentiles. They were specifically told that. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Um, I believe according to Zechariah, uh, in Zechariah chapter 8, verse number 20, Then saith the Lord of hosts, It shall come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another city, saying, Let us speedily uh, go before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts, I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord. I mean, what is he talking about? He's talking about in the millennium. They will come and seek the Lord. Um, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass. What days? Uh, 
This is after the nation of Israel has repented and been restored, the king upon his throne, the kingdom, um, that men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The nation would have become a kingdom of priests uh, to reach the nations. Um, and then verse number two, that's right, Scott, it hasn't happened. Uh, and it should cause a lot of people to ask, why not? Um, it, it, it hasn't happened because the king and his kingdom was rejected, period. Um, in verse number two of Acts 8, And devout men carried Stephen uh, to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and hailing men and women and committed them to prison. As I mentioned, Saul was not only there, he was leading it. Uh, Paul, in all of his conversion accounts, and he gives it three times in the book of Acts, always alludes to his horrible past in dealing with his fellow Jews. Um, it seems apparent from the text in regards to Stephen's death that Rome tended to look the other way uh, when it comes to the Jews handling their religious affairs. Uh, apparently, they had a habit of stoning people. And the Romans tended to look the way, look the other way. Um, so I asked the question: Why did now? Why did they need Rome's permission to crucify Jesus? Uh, and I believe that the answer is twofold. Uh, number one, prophecy required it. Prophecy required that the Gentiles be involved in the crucifixion of Christ. In Psalm twenty-one. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Uh, when it's talking about the heathen raging, it's not talking about the Jew. It's talking about the Gentile. But then it says, and the people is referring to the Jew. The kings of the earth set themselves. The kings of the earth are referring to the Gentiles in Psalm 2. And the rulers take counsel together, that's referring to the Jew, against the Lord and against his anointed, that's Jesus, saying, let us, Jew and Gentile, break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And of course, notice it says, their cords from us. God is a triune being. He that setteth in the heavens will laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his, in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, and I will declare the degree, saith the Lord, thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. So again, the Jew and the Gentile had to be involved prophetically in the crucifixion of the Messiah, so therefore they had to get Rome involved in order to fulfill scripture. Um, you know, Psalm 22, uh, verses 1 through 19. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? In the words of my roaring. The, Jew, the, Gentile, the Gentiles had to be involved for the crucifixion. Um, why? Because the Jews never would have crucified Jesus. Uh, the Jews... Their preferred method of death when it comes to blasphemy, which is what they accused Jesus of, was stoning. 
um, in Leviticus chapter number 24, verse number 15, and thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curses God shall die and his, shall bear his sin. He that blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. So the Gentiles, the Romans, had to be involved in order for prophecy to be fulfilled. Um, and then verse number four, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And remember, those that were scattered abroad were Jews, and the word that they were preaching was the gospel of the kingdom. And then in verse five, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, when I read this verse, I can't help but look back up to verse number one, where it says, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You remember the Great Commission in Acts 1.8. Uh, it told them, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that makes me believe that perhaps this was preemptive, in that while the apostles themselves did remain in Jerusalem, all the others were scattered to Judea and Samaria as far as Judea and Samaria. Maybe it was preemptive that Jerusalem would, would, would repent and accept their Messiah, and then they would go out and start fulfilling that commission to the rest of the Jews, uh, not to the Gentiles. The Great Commission is to the Jews and the Jews only. Now, you say that to people, and they look at you like you are an absolute heretic uh, because they have been taught to see the Bible with a certain filter, with a certain lens. I heard a brother say the other day that we are a royal priesthood. Um, we are not a royal priesthood. Only the nation of Israel was given the promise of being a royal priesthood and a holy nation. That, my friend, is replacement theology. That is taking promises for, for the nation of Israel and putting them on to the church which is covenant replacement theology. And I'm afraid that many, quote, evangelicals, uh, quote, dispensationalists, have bought into this subtle covenant replacement theology in their teaching. Now, if you ask them point blank, are you a covenant theo theolo theologian? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, do you believe that the church is... Oh, no, 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 don't believe that. But then they'll turn around and say, we're, we're, we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Um, they'll take everything in the Hebrew epistles from Hebrews to Revelation and put it on the body of Christ. It's called Hebrew epistles because it was written to the Hebrews. And I'm not a Hebrew. Okay? Um, <laughs> I get a little passionate about that because I just... I'm just sick of it. But uh, verse number five, then Philip went down, uh, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So now Peter, now Philip is going down to Samaria and he's going to preach Christ. And then we talked about why it always refers to Jerusalem going up and everybody, everything else is going down. Because Jerusalem was considered, it was the temple of God. It was the where God resided in the temple. They always made what they called Aliyah, the ascent. If you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up. 
If you're leaving Jerusalem, you're always going down. It doesn't matter if you were going north, east, south, or west. You're going down because you're leaving the temple of God. Uh, it is also interesting to note that Philip, just like Peter and Stephen, preached Christ. He never preached Christ crucified. He always preached Christ. I emphasize that because there's a difference. The Apostle Paul preached Christ crucified. You and I, the gospel of grace, is Christ crucified. The gospel of the kingdom is just Christ. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto, but, unto, but unto those who are saved it is the power of God. Paul preached the cross. Uh, the Jews did not preach the cross. They did not preach Christ crucified. They preached Christ only. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. The focus of the gospel of the kingdom was not the crucifixion, but the person of Christ only. Uh, subtle, but there is a difference. The gospel of the kingdom predates the cross. So the gospel of the kingdom that was being preached by John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles did not was not the cross. It was simply Christ. You know, in Matthew... Matthew sixteen fifteen, but he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? That was the question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Again, there's no crucifixion in view there. Uh, in John eleven twenty five, and Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she said, Lord. I believe that thou art the Christ. That's it. The gospel of grace was given to Paul later. And it was Christ and the crucifixion, the cross. Uh, we also mentioned that the Samaritans uh, were half Jew, half Gentile. Um, they practiced a diluted form of Judaism. They were Jews that had been left behind during the Assyrian captivity and had intermarried, um, but they were still considered Jews. And because of this, that's why when they were scattered to Judea and Samaria, they took the gospel of the kingdom with them to Jew only. So the Samaritans are obviously Jews. Uh, some say that it's significant that Peter and John had to lay hands on them in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe that the reason uh, they had to lay hands on them uh, was so that they would fall back under the authority of Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem would be the place, the throne of the king, and would be the seat of the kingdom. And the Samaritans had never recognized that. The Samaritans always were always different. Uh, you remember the woman at the well. Well, you Jews say, you know, that you have to go to Jerusalem in order to worship God. 
so I believe that's why they ended up having to lay hands on them. Um, so they went down Samaria, and we'll talk about that a little further as we go here. Um, let's see, where are we at? The focus of the kingdom, there's a difference. Uh, the Samaritans were half Jew. Um, the significance would be that they had to fall under the authority of the Jerusalem church. Um, and then verse 6, And the people of one accord gave heed unto these things, which Philip spake hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. Now notice that the miracles were still being used to convince the nation as to the validity of the message. That was the purpose. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1.22, the Jews require a sign. That's what the sign gifts were that were given out at Pentecost. They were for the Jewish nation. They were not for the Gentiles. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. The sign gifts always preceded the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And then verse number seven, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame and were healed. Um, some point to the fact that Paul never ever addressed the issue of demonic possession. That was a problem for the nation of Israel or for others, but it doesn't seem, Paul never addressed the issue, so what are we to make of it? Um, now, Les Feldick, who I greatly admire, I think he just turned 94 or something like that. Uh, he's been around a long time. He really reminds me of Chuck Smith, if you've ever seen him, uh, and the way he, he, he teaches, very simple, uh, very direct. Um, he said that the obvious solution for demonic possession is salvation, um, not casting them out. That was under an old economy. Um, something to think about. I'm not going to write a book on that just yet, but I do not believe that Christians can be demonically possessed. I, I, I believe they can be oppressed and obsessed, but they cannot be possessed. Um, so something to think about. And then verse number eight, and there was great joy in that city, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. In these verses, we're introduced to Simon the sorcerer, who is said to be the great power of God. But you know, all power comes from one or two sources. It either comes from the God of heaven or it comes from the God of this world, period. I'm reminded of the, of the magicians in Pharaoh's court. Where did they get their power? They didn't get their power from God. So they obviously got their power from the God of this world. Um, <clears throat> they did so by the God of Satan. Uh, all power on this earth comes from one or the other. I'm reminded of the yin and the yang, and I'm surprised how many churches get involved in this. Um, the teaching of the yin and the yang is good and bad are always in a fight, but not, neither will ever overcome the other. That's a lie. Uh, God will overcome the devil. And I shared a story. I was in a church. I don't remember where. I've only done it a few times, maybe. Uh, but I, you know, I said, uh, if I say black, you say, and they all yelled white. If I say good, you all say bad. If I say 
left, you guys say, right, they all yelled. And then I said, when I say God, you say, and they all said the devil. And I said, wrong. Uh, while uh, left may be the opposite equal of right, and light may be the opposite equal of dark, God is not the opposite equal of the devil. Uh, he created the devil. He created Lucifer. So the yin and the yang does not hold true because one day God will throw the, the, the yang or the yin, whichever which is which, into the lake of fire. And that'll be the end of that. Um, so the yin and the yang is a lie. And Christians don't need to be participating in that. Next time I see another young believer with that tattooed on their forearm, I think I'm going to go ballistic. Um, <clears throat> ignorance. My grandma used to say, if, is it, if, ignorant, is, is it, if ignorance is so bliss, why aren't more people happy? Um, that's a good question. Because I find the ignorance of the modern day church staggering. Um, staggering. Um, I can't tell you how many young people, and I disciple young people, people. That's my calling in life. I, I love them to death. Um, but they are very prone, uh, to follow the trends of culture. You know, uh, they're very prone. We live in a hashtag society. And when I see them doing something like that, I privately message them and say, do you know what that organization stands for? Do you? Uh, do you understand that they want to destroy the, the, the nuclear family? Do you understand that that is a socially Marxist organization? That is an agent of chaos? Um, again, they just don't know. They don't study. And, and God knows the pastors don't teach their Bibles anymore. You know, they give a three-point sermon. They give a five-week message on marriage. Um, you know how many texts there are in the New Testament on marriage? I can promise you there's not enough in there for a six-week message on it. Um, I mean, you can only read so many scriptures, and the rest of it, you're speculating. Uh, why not just preach the Bible instead of pulling all this psychobabble into it? Um, I, I think we just doubt the power of God. We think we've got to get involved in it. Just preach the Word of God. I'm convinced if we just stood up and read the Word of God to people, um, they would get right. It's His words that are promised not to return void, not mine, not what I say. Um, so anyway, I'm done with that. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you know. feel like giving an altar call at that point. Um, but then notice verse 11. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. And when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, that's what Peter preached, and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So notice that they believed the preaching of Philip in regards to the things concerning the kingdom of God. And we got into a study at that point, is there a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Well, um, I believe that... Um, the kingdom of God, you know, many say the kingdom of God pertains to the things of the church and the kingdom of heaven pertains to the things of Israel. The kingdom of God is spiritual. The kingdom of heaven is physical. Um, 
But what I looked at when I went through this is in the, t in the context, is there a difference? And if you go back and forth between kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and the gospels and the gospels only, uh, they appear to be the same thing uh, because they are used interchangeably throughout the scriptures. Um, and I, and I, I mentioned how the kingdom of God is used 68 times in 10 different New Testament books. The kingdom of heaven is used 30 times and only in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so if you compare where Matthew used the word kingdom of heaven and go into Mark and Luke, they chose to use the word kingdom of God in the same, in regards to the same event. For example, in Matthew eleven eleven, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. But notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then Luke, talking about John the Baptist said, but I say unto you among those born of women, there is no greater than greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So in the context, the words are used interchangeably. Are they two different things? You know, I, I think that there can be a good argument made that the kingdom of God is referring to the whole sphere of God's influence, heaven and earth. When the kingdom of heaven refers only to his earthly kingdom. So, just you know, something for further study for all of us. Verse 13, Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now notice that Simon is drawn to the miracles. He's drawn to the signs. Why? It was his shtick. That's what he did. He was... The, he was the, 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 what do you call him? The man of God. He, he was some great one. This, he, the, this man is the great power of God. That's what he did. Signs and wonders. So he was drawn to that. They got something that I, I want. And again, this was the whole reason for the miracles and the signs was to draw an audience. So they drew Simon among many other people. Uh, so they drew him. Um, and then in verse 14, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Peter and John still in Jerusalem. But when they find out what's happening at Philip's preaching in Samaria, they sent Peter and John as emissaries who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was not fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when others, they repented, they were baptized, but the Holy Ghost had not fallen upon them yet. Why? That was the question. But when the apostles laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. So the question is, <laughs> why did these, these people need to be prayed over in order to receive the Holy Ghost when clearly uh, at the end of Peter's preaching twice at the end of Philip's preaching which Philip's preaching ended with a stoning but at the end of Peter's preaching they repented they were baptized 
and the Holy Spirit fell on them. But it didn't happen here to the Sumerians. And we speculated, I speculate as to why. I believe that the answer is found when you go to the woman at the well. The Samaritans, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. In John 4, verse number 15, Neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said, Go call thy husband and come hither. And of course, she goes through the whole thing. I don't have a husband. He says, Yeah, you're right. You've actually had five, and the one that you're living with is not one either. And the woman said, Well, I perceive that thou art a prophet. <laughs> Because he knew things, you know. And she says, this is the key, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. One mountain. She's not referring to Jerusalem. She's referring to the Samaritans who were, um, who were subject to the Assyrian uh, captivity and those that were left behind. She's referring to that mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is placed men up to worship. Uh, so I believe that God withheld the Holy Spirit from these being baptized uh, until Peter and John came down so that they would acknowledge that Jerusalem was where God needed to be worshipped. Um, so uh, I believe that that is what is going on here. Um, they needed to draw a distinction uh, between Jerusalem and Samaria. Um, and you know the whole story in the Old Testament, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, when King Solomon died and the people came and said, you know, your father just put way too much on us. Uh, promise us that you won't, you won't do the same with taxes and putting our young men to work and sending them off to war. And of course, he came back and said, if you think my, my father was rough, uh, he'll be a little finger compared to what I'm going to put on you. And of course, that divided the kingdom. Those in the northern kingdom followed Jeroboam, those in the southern kingdom of Judah stayed, stayed under Rehoboam. And we know what happened. Uh, Jeroboam in the northern kingdom was afraid that as the people made Eliah, or as they went down for the mandatory feast that they were required to participate in, that they would be pulled back into the southern kingdom. So what did he do? He established his own order of worship in the northern kingdom. And of course, the lady at the well, the Samaritan at the well, that is exactly what she was reflecting in her conversation to Jesus. And of course, we find the account of that in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse number 25, uh, 25 through 33. Um, and the king took counsel. He sets up the calves of gold and he says, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods of Israel that brought thee out of Egypt. So, um, so I believe that the whole event was about the Samaritans understanding that Jerusalem was where they needed to worship. Jerusalem was to be the headquarters for the kingdom of heaven, not Samaria. Um, and I also believe that Peter had to be involved because Peter had been given the keys uh, of the kingdom. And whatsoever thou shalt bound upon Bound shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose in the earth shall be loosed in heaven. I think Peter had to be involved. Peter was using his keys in Acts chapter number 2 when he preached that Pentecost sermon. Um, another point that needs to be made in regards to this event is that this event contradicts how God works in the body of Christ today. Uh, belief is followed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, this passage alone demonstrates these guys repented 
they were baptized, but no Holy Spirit. It didn't happen. Why? Because they are not in the body of Christ. This is still very much uh, gospel of the kingdom going on here. Um, so today, belief is followed by immediate filling and no baptism is required. And baptismal regeneration is heresy, uh, saying that someone has to be baptized to be saved. The reason they're saying that is because they are intermingling the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace. <clears throat> when you intermingle the gospel of the kingdom with the gospel of grace, you end up with no gospel at all. That's what the book of Galatians is about. <laughs> uh, you pervert it. You can mingle law, grace with law, but you cannot mingle law with grace. Once you mingle law with grace, you have forfeited grace. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about as he wrote to the Galatians when he said, Who has bewitched you? Uh, and then verse number 18, And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, they will receive the Holy Ghost. Um, this is where the word simony comes in. Uh, simony uh, is the buying and selling of church office. Um, and Simon here was trying to basically buy apostleship. Uh, he wanted to be able to do what they were doing. Um, and I've mentioned this before, but I do not believe that the office of apostle is open today. Uh, you might be a B or a C apostle, but you're not an A apostle. You don't meet the requirements of an apostle. You were not there from the baptism of John. You did not see him go into heaven. You did not see him at the ascension. Uh, so now we do have the role, if you will, of an apostle. I certainly played that role as a church planter, you know, in Guatemala and Mexico. But I would never refer to myself as an apostle. I am not an apostle. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11, it says, God has given unto the church. I always use my hands when I talk to young people. It helps them to remember. Um, he gave the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I always used to use my hand to teach it to young people. And I would actually have them place their hands on a piece of paper and trace it. You remember doing that when you were a kid? And I would say the apostle was the foundation. Now, the apostle laid the foundation of the church. Uh, without the apostle, without the thumb, you know, it's very hard to pick up a glass. It's very hard to handle a tool or a hammer. The apostles were the foundation. The prophets were the accusers. Thou, thou art the man, David. You know they were the ones that pointed their fingers in the in the face of people. Uh, the evangelist is the long finger. The evangelist is offensive. The evangelist will say what needs to be said, come hell or high water. Uh, the evangelist stands out above the arrest. It's a gift. Um, then you also have. The pastor, who's the ring finger, he's married to the church for better or worse. Um, and then the teacher, you know, he can go places the other guys can't go. <laughs> um, so uh, I used to teach them that. But I believe that personally, uh, the office of apostle is closed. And I believe the office of prophet is also closed. I think the function of the apostle through the missionary, the function of the prophet through 
the pastor teacher for sure, but I believe those offices are closed. Um, now, some people will contend with that, and that is fine. Uh, mostly those who lean toward the charismatic side because they're the ones that really like to run down that road. Trust me, the covenant guys don't run down that road. Uh, it's the Pentecostal types that want to run down that road. So, um, But anyway, I believe that office is closed uh, today. And then I made a note, interestingly, the modern church is still seeking apostolic authority and power. Um, the whole Pentecostal movement is built on a bad interpretation of what's going on in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Um, the entire covenant group theology is based on a bad interpretation of what is going on in the book of Acts. Uh, the only way to interpret the book of Acts is to rightly divide it. Not truth from error, but truth from truth. There was a truth for the Jew, there's a truth for the Gentile. Uh, there's promises to Jew that have nothing to do with the Gentile. You have to be able to rightly divide those things in order for it to make sense and not contradict. Because once it starts to contradict, you've got a problem. You know, you start reading Matthew chapter number 24 and you start trying to endure to the end, you've got a problem. Because the same people that'll tell you you've got to endure to the end, spoken to the Jew in the regards of the tribulation, has nothing to do with the body of Christ, will turn around and say you're saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, again, you're, con you're trying to put together uh, two truths and you make a lie out of it, is what you end up doing. So... And then in verse uh, 20, And Peter said unto them, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Um, and thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this wickedness, and pray God, if he might, if perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven thee. Uh, I believe that this verse makes it pretty clear that Simon's belief was feigned. In other words, he did it for financial gain. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Your heart is not right before God. Peter then tells him, you need to repent therefore of this wickedness and pray that God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may, may be forgiven thee. Nowhere in scripture do we find that Simon followed this advice. Actually, if you study church history, and I was studying it just this morning, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Hippolytus, and Epiphanius all describe Simon as a Gnostic. As a matter of fact, some of them say he is the founder of Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believe they had a superior knowledge in regards to spiritual things. Matter of fact, the word Gnostic or Gnosis is having knowledge. And some would reject that he was the founder, but they say instead he was just described as a Gnostic. Either way, it appears that he became an enemy of Christianity. So I do not believe that Simon was a true conversion. Verse 23, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. That is not the description of a believer, my friend. Not at all. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. 
I find it interesting that he asked them to pray for him. Why did he not just pray for himself? Uh, I think it was unbelief. He was still struggling in his belief. Um, reminds me of... Uh, Reminds me of Mark 9, 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and sore and said, With tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou in my unbelief. Simon still did not believe. That's why he prayed that. And then verse 25, and we'll wrap up. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Why did they return to Jerusalem? Because they did not believe that they had a ministry to the Gentiles as of yet because the king and the kingdom had not been accepted. So anyway, that's uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. hope that you've enjoyed our study today, and uh, I'll continue to post Monday through Friday, 8 a.m., 10 to 15 minutes at a time as we uh, finish out the book of uh Let's see, we're going to get down into Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch uh, this next week, and that'll wrap up uh, chapter number 8, and then we'll be in chapter 9 in the conversion of Saul. And uh, anyway, I so enjoy being with you. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Um, and uh, remember, I'm going to go ahead and post all this stuff on Facebook, the notes on the blog, and... Uh, um, and then I also throw it up on YouTube and also put it up on SoundCloud. You know, that's an app that you can download if you just want to listen to the audio only. So anyway, you guys have an awesome Lord's Day. Again, happy Father's Day to you dads out there. And just always remember that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.